Those that can, would you join me on your knees? I just, I just sense in this house a sense of reverence for the Lord. Lord, you are worthy. Would you, in your own words, just tell him how worthy he is? We don't just want to sing words, God, and not express what's happening in heaven right now. The elders around your throne, kneeling and giving you their crowns. All the angels flying around saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. We join with him now. We are not worthy. We are not worthy, but because of you, Lamb of God, we are now in this place. So we say, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb of God. You are worthy. We do not kneel down before race. We do not kneel down before country or leader. We kneel down before God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. Just in a moment of silence, we'll even stop playing the music. Let us honor God today in our own way. If, if you need to express, you can, but I want a moment of reverence. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Bible says be silent before God. Hallelujah. He will judge the earth one day. We will be kneeling and worshiping as others are being sentenced to eternal damnation. Let us never think for a moment we deserve it. The worthiness belongs to him. On our knees, could we just sing the chorus again, just a cappella. You are worthy of it all. The of it all. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, sing it out today, hallelujah. Father, we thank you today that because of Jesus, we get to be in your presence. 
He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. We come through him today, and we are thankful that you have sent your Holy Spirit in his name, and we are able to worship you in spirit and in truth. Have your way in this service. Speak your word through me, your servant, O God. Let us all have ears to hear, O God, and eyes to see what you want to do upon the earth. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said. Amen. Can you bless the Lord as you're getting up? Are you able to do both? <laughs> oh, praise God. You may find your way back to your seat. How many appreciated that moment of reverence before the Lord? Amen. We are a shouting, jumping, dancing church. But it doesn't always have to be that way to feel the presence of the Lord. Sometimes you just need to take a moment to be silent before the Lord. Amen. And let him speak to you. Are you happy to be in church? Come on, let your face know what your heart is feeling today. Come on, don't just say yes and have your face disagree with you. Put a smile on that face. Look at your neighbor and say, this joy that I have, the world didn't give it. And the world can't take it away. Amen, amen. Keep smiling. Let's have a good time today in church. Oh, praise the Lord. Open up your Bibles with me to Jeremiah chapter 5. Jeremiah chapter 5. Today we're going to hear a sermon from the prophet of Jeremiah that ends with the text, what will you do in the end? It ends with a question, you know, what are you going to do in the end? At the end of this service, you may go out to eat. At the end of the service, you may, you know, go to the beach or lakefront or hang out with your friends. You might already have a plan about what you're going to do at the end of the service. But the bigger question is, what are you going to do at the end of your life? And what are you going to do at the end when God wraps up earth and, and says, this is it? I'm coming back to judge the people of, of earth. What are you going to do in the end of your life or the end of God's return? One or the other, we're going to face that end. How many believe that? Uh, we don't like to think about the end. We want to think about all the things that happen in between. We want to think about all the good that we want to do in life, all the people that we want to, to see be blessed and changed or, you know, uh, come to know Jesus Christ. We, we, we don't want to die, in other words, and we don't want to suffer, but there is going to be an end, and if we live long enough, we're going to see the judgment of God. But I also believe we can see revival. Uh, one of my favorite science fiction movies is Lord of the Rings. I don't know if there's any sci-fi geeks or nerds here, but I love Lord of the Rings. Some of you are into Marvel and into DC Comics. Uh, we Lord of the Rings people feel sorry for you. Uh, you do not have enough storyline in your movies. You just have CGI for a whole two hours. Uh, the comics are better, of course. But anyways, uh, the Lord of the Rings has depth. It has some depth to it. I know even some Marvel fans can say they, they can say an amen to that. And one of the scenes, Frodo, he's the, he's the uh, little uh, shire folk. He is uh, known as an inkling. He's a halfling. Thank you, not an inkling, a halfling. The inklings, by the way, the inklings were who? Do you know who the inklings were? Look up the Inklings and find out. I won't tell you since you're a nerd. I'm not going to say it in front of everybody, but look it up. The Inklings were a group of uh, authors who did science fiction together in Oxford. C.S. Lewis was a part of them. But she is correct. Thank you, fellow nerd. I appreciate that. He was a hobbit known as a halfling. 
And he was picked to be a part of the adventure to save the day. I won't ruin it for you, but you should have watched it by now anyways. It's been out for a while. The books have been out since before I was born. But there's a ring and it has to be destroyed is the bottom line. And Frodo is the one chosen to do it. And he's been living his whole life in the Shire. It, it kind of reminds you of like Ireland and, you know, I think they filmed it in New Zealand, right? New Zealand. Okay, some nerds even go to see the place. I'm not that nerdy. I'm kidding. Half kid. I, I do want to see it. Um, <laughs> I do want to see it. I really do. Uh, but that's, that's for another time. And it's almost like just too good to be true how the hobbits live. I mean, they're always dancing and singing and, and enjoying themselves, and they're having festivals while the whole world around them is going to hell in a handbasket. And so Gandalf, the wizard, and uh, since this was written by a Christian, it's okay to have a wizard in a story. Some of you so spiritual, you won't even watch this one with the wizard. Pray for us, okay? There's a difference in this wizard between that and Harry Potter. That's what I say anyways. But uh, my wife's clapping because she loves Lord of the Rings. We, we can't watch Harry Potter in our house, but you can watch Lord of the Rings, okay? So there's a wizard that takes the hobbit on a journey to destroy the ring. And as the hobbit, uh, Frodo, leaves the Shire, he gets introduced to the real world. He begins to see what's really going on. And it's wicked. It's evil. It's scary. It is uh, gross. There is a lot of things happening that he wished he never would have saw. And he says to his leader, his mentor, at one point in the story, he said, I wish it need not have happened in my time. He wished that he had not been around for what is now happening. He said, I wish it need not have happened in my time. So do I, said Gandalf. And so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. Can I hear an amen for Gandalf? Gandalf be preaching. Jeremiah did not want to live in the time he was living. If you would have spread out a buffet of time periods of where Gandalf uh, would have wanted uh, Frodo to be or where Jeremiah would have wanted God to have put him to be, they all would have picked different times. Jeremiah would have said, put me at the time where Israel is the most blessed, the most favored. Frodo would have said to Gandalf, put me when everything is good in Middle Earth. And so we can relate to Jeremiah because if you're asking me today, do I want to be around at this specific time, I would say no. Put me around right after World War II during the 50s. People spoke with respect and honor to adults, honored each other. Some people might say, man, I'm black. You don't want me in the 50s, man. I can't drink at your fountain. No, listen to me. We're going to do the civil rights in the 50s. But even for your culture, but listen to me. For real, listen to me. Talk to your grandparents or your parents from the 50s. Even your culture was better. Am I not right? I mean, we'll talk about the politics of it in just a moment. Trust me, we'll get into it. But where young people honored their parents, where the streets were safe. Bring me back to a time when the majority of all of us, Latino, you know, white, uh, black, you know, Asian, we were in church on Sunday. Meals and families uh, got together after church where if you said the name of the Lord in vain, you were looked at crazy. Uh, you know, that, that doing the twist was edgy or, or, you know, going just to a concert like Elvis, man, he was crazy. But now we live in such times where being a Christian is wrong. It's not right. 
even right now, the Catholics are having divisions among their own people because they've been quiet so long about all these issues. They're finally speaking up because they have many, if not most, of the same morals. Uh, they practice Christianity in a way that we consider to be unbiblical, but don't we uh, have the same morals? You know, we believe in the same Ten Commandments, that the, the, the Blessed Trinity and all of these things. And now Catholic priests are coming out going, you cannot even call yourself a Catholic if you vote Democrat. And I'm so thankful for that because abortion has running our, our nation ragged right now, killing thousands upon thousands of thousands of children, and the church is not even speaking up. But, but once again, in the times that maybe I would have chosen, the Protestant, the Catholic, would have all agreed homosexuality is a sin. We don't want to promote it. We want to, we want to help people be free from it. Abortion is a sin and a, to kill your child. I mean, could you imagine talking to your grandparents and, and, and what would have happened in their time if, if they would have wanted to kill their children? There was actually, uh, and this is where we have to tip our hat to the Catholics, there was actually uh, places for underage girls, if they got pregnant, to go and have their needs provided for so that they could become mothers or that then they could give them up for adoption. How many believe that's awesome? I mean, I don't know about you. You might have picked a different time. You might have picked a little house on the prairie time. You might have picked some other time to live in. But I think we can all relate to Frodo, to Jeremiah, because Jeremiah, even in the Bible, he complains to God. He said, God, when you first called me to be a prophet and you told me you are going to give me your word, I thought it was going to go a lot different than it's going now. And so now uh, we're not in fantasy and we don't have a choice. You are in this time. This is where you live. This is where I live. And even uh, whatever the pandemic has taught us, you know, whether there is truth behind the science of what we're being shared by one source versus another, I mean, where the truth is, we may not know. Is it, is it more severe than a flu, like an influenza-like illness? You know, is it about the same? Is it that much different? We don't know. But we know for sure that there was no way really in the global world to escape what happened in that pandemic. That wherever you were in the world, your economy was being touched by what was happening. And so we were shown just quickly how fast the world can shut down. Do you want to live in times like this? I know I don't. I don't want to live in times where global pandemics can shut down an economy. Do you want to live in times where your streets and your cities are on fire? I was just on the, on the west side yesterday, by God's grace, handing out food with a group of the church and preaching the gospel, but you still see the, the boarded up places. You see a lot of what's going on down there. You know, I'm introducing my daughter to the hood and explaining what's going on. Uh, she was telling me about her adventures and getting to know people, and it's so funny when she explains to me what she's hearing from them in her own words, you know. She was like, this one guy told me, he's not a Christian, he don't really believe in religion, but he said he was freewheeling, freewheeling. So she learned some slang, freewheeling, willing. He's free-willing? I think you misheard him. I think he was saying free-wheeling. Does anybody here have their hood dictionary? Would free-willing make sense in that sentence? Or free-wheeling? I'm free-wheeling. Who wants to settle the debate between my daughter and I? As I'm embarrassed and so is she. Who wants to say? Let's say, let's, let's do a vote here. If you think it was free-willing, W-I-L-L-I-N-G, raise your hand. Okay. If you believe it was free wheeling, like you're wheeling something, just letting it go, raise your hand. Okay, we're about split now too. Who's going to decide? We've got to find this person. Were you there in the conversation? What did he say? 
You weren't there in that conversation. Who was there in that conversation? Calvin, you were there. Yes. Freewheeling? Like a wheelie? W-I-L-L-I-N. Free willing. Willing like doing a wheelie? You don't even spell wheelie like that. Free willing. I guess you were right. Let's give it up for my daughter being right. Now, I have never heard that. You keep going like this like a motorcycle. That's a wheelie. That is a wheelie. That's not a wheel. So I don't know where you're coming from. You keep going wheeling, wheeling. No, wheeling has nothing to do with wheeling. I don't know if I should trust you guys. Where was I at in this deep sermon? What do you think it is? Like the will, so she was right. Okay, I'll just settle it that way. I can be wrong. Pastor's wrong. That's all right. That's okay. It happens every now and then. Most of you know I don't get off from the sermon very much, so now that we're here, now you know why I don't do this. Y'all correcting me, rebuking me. When we go to Jeremiah, I wouldn't pick this time. I don't want to take my daughter. Let's be honest. I don't want to take my daughter into the black community and this be the way she learns about the black community. I mean, are you proud about that, black folks? When I bring her to a black community and this is what she sees, I had to explain her. This is not how all black people live. Would you be proud of it if I took her to, you know, your Latino community and everybody there is, is, is in gangs? Would you say, like, that reminds us of Iguala? You see that girl twerking? That reminds me of Iguala. I had to tell her, I had to say, all black people are not like this because in her mind, she goes to a community, all black people on the streets, and there's drugs over here, drugs over here. We have to explain. What happened to the black community? And I explained it to her. I said it's the same kind of thing that happens to the white meth communities. Drugs come in, fatherless homes, crime. But I don't want to live during that time. I would rather bring her to the time, you know, of a Bronx tale or something, bring her to the black community where the leaders are there, the fathers are there. Where if you're going to date the daughter, you got to get through the brothers and the father. The dad goes to work and has integrity. Are you listening? And the same thing is, I mean, I'll just put, out, put a blast here on everybody's community. You know, when I went to Chilapa, a, a small town slash village in Nayarit, Mexico, when I went there, it didn't look anything like Humboldt Park. And I know that's a different community of Latin Americans, you know, from Puerto Rico to, to, uh, to you know, to Mexico. But you get my point. When I, when I went to that small town, that didn't remind me anything of what I see today being represented. And I'm sure if you went to where I came from, you know. Well, in Europe, it's pretty much the same. But anyways, you get my point. If you went back to Europe maybe 50 years ago, it would be different. But is anybody proud of their culture, like how in general their culture is right now? Like the debate that just happened, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a pro-conservative, uh, so I'm always going to side on the one that values most, so I'm going to be more towards Trump. But would I want my children to learn how to do public debate by two old white guys yelling and, and basically interrupting each other? This, this, is, this is not the pinnacle of society. This, this is not where we should be. Whether, like I said, whether it's Lady Gaga who looks more like me or Beyonce who might look more like you or J-Lo who looks more like, you, you know, your Latino friend. Does this represent any of us? Do we feel like they're carrying our values? No. And then now when we look around the church age, and we read the Bible, and then we look at what's going on in the church. Do we, do we see, like, what's happening or happened here? Do we see, like, in the, in the churches we're seeing on TV and online? 
I don't believe so. Right now, you know, everybody's online so you can watch them. I get so grieved watching churches right now online. I'm absolutely grieved. It's not necessarily, uh, you know, their size. I don't think big means bad and small means spiritual. I'm not trying to say that. It's not necessarily the preachers and sneakers thing because there's a lot of, you know, stuff going on around there that's, you know, the preachers are wearing sneakers that are worth five, $600 and their outfits are always, you know, like uh, whatever, like Gucci or something. I'm not even talking about that. That's not even a thing that even bothers me, honestly. What bothers me is that I hear no conviction in the preaching. It sounds like a Tony Robinson, you know, motivational sermon. I feel like I'm just listening to a a version of Oprah Winfrey that puts some Jesus sprinkled on it. Honestly, I don't, I don't, I, I wish I was around during the Methodist revivals when they were preaching for hours at a time, going from town to town. I wish I was there with William Seymour, the black man who brought an integration in the 1900s to L.A. at the Azusa Street Revival. I wish I was at uh, Carlos Anacondia's revivals in Buenos Aires, Argentina, and, and with Claudio Frazon. I wish I was seeing something different. All of our cultures, all of our people, are so degraded right now. Our churches are so watered down. Not saying we're the only ones, but are you getting a sense that we're living in times that are wicked? And of course, if you could choose, you would say, yeah, I would like it at a different time. If I could choose a time in church history, I would choose a different time. If I could, if I could choose a time in my community, my, my culture, I would choose a different time. But nonetheless, we're here. And we have to do something. God has called us. And so the question is, what are you going to do in the end? Because your life is going to end or this nation is going to end when God comes back. Either way, we're going to be here for an end, either our last breaths or his judgment coming down. And Jeremiah is dealing with those problems. For him, it's going to be another nation coming to evade and destroy, invade and destroy his people. Whenever you hear the stories about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do you ever ask yourself, how did they get there? Why are they in Babylon? Why are these Jewish boys being forced to worship an image? Let's think about it for a second. You know what it's the equivalent of? China taking us over in the next 10 years. And my boys right back here, Lucas and Titus, being brought to Beijing, being forced to bow down before the emperor. How far away are we from that? I mean, are we really thinking to ourselves that America's military is that much more superior that we could not stop that kind of a thing happening? What if we plunge into a civil war? What if Trump wins and they can't handle it and urban warfare starts to pop off and now we become like Beirut and other nations that have had urban war within their borders? While we're at war with ourselves, the other countries band together. How hard would it be? If I can come up with that plan, and I love America, what about our enemies? What are they thinking? The Muslims with the the communists, hey, we may not agree on everything, but we agree in taking down America. We'll take Texas, you take the rest or something. I mean, how hard do you think it would be to negotiate a deal between them? I mean, you go back to World War I and II, the axis of evil, Germany working with Italy and all of these other nations like Japan to take down the, the European front. A civil war, another world war. How long would it take for us to crumble from within? How long did it take Rome to fall apart? 
Some things happen fast, some things happen slow. But the bottom line is, we may see something devastating happen to this nation. We have to take it serious. But here's what I can say through all times in history, and even during Jeremiah's time, as we'll see, is that God has a promise for the remnant, for his people, and we can see revival. We can see revival come during this time. During the 1900s when they were dealing with influenza, World War I and the Great Depression, our kind of expression of faith, the Pentecostals, grew and exploded all across the world. God used that pain of what the nation and the world, uh, the nations of the world were going through to spread the gospel. And if you look to the early church, and we're always saying, God, do it again. Send us another Pentecost. Send us another Pentecost. Okay, well, do you want another Pentecost? Look what happened during that time. The apostles were being stoned, put in jail. People were dying for lying at the offerings. Persecution was running abound. But yes, the revival was happening. So in the midst of judgment, can God send revival? Absolutely. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 1. What are you going to do in the end? Jeremiah speaking, or rather the Lord speaking through Jeremiah, he tells them, get up, go down the streets of Jerusalem, look around and consider, search through her square. If you can find but one person who deals honestly and seeks the truth, I will forgive this city. Although they say as surely as the Lord lives, they are still swearing falsely. God speaking here in hyperbole says, if you can find just one, I won't judge them. Now, of course, Jeremiah could say back and go, aren't I one? And he had contemporaries at that time as well. But God is speaking here in the hyperbole going, I'm so sick of them. Can you really even find one? And I can almost say that today about our nation. Out of all the politicians, can you find one that's righteous and godly and without corruption? You know, looking at our, our nation and our churches, I mean, if people didn't know about us being here, I mean, don't you think some people are just discouraged about the state of the church in Chicago and, and would say, can you find even just one church, just a, a church that just wants to serve God and, and not be compromised and open up and fight against the systems that are oppressing God's people? I mean, there's probably people even now that don't even know if there's one. You can feel that way, and God is expressing, God is expressing that same feeling. Look around at Jerusalem. Can you even find me someone righteous? They keep swearing they're going to do it. They keep saying they're going to do it. They keep saying every election they're going to change. They keep saying that they're going to go to church this Sunday. They keep saying the school systems are going to be different. They keep saying the police are going to be different. They keep saying the pastors, the churches are going to be different. But doesn't it all just kind of look the same? And if it's going in any direction, it's going down. Like in all honesty, if Trump is our best, how far have we gone from the days of Reagan? When you, just seriously, if you even had another spouse or had another marriage, you would have been considerably, you know, considered by the conservatives, you know, we don't want to get by you. But now all the conservatives, and I'm one of them, I'm like, Trump's my man. This guy has been one of the worst perverts of anybody that we've had in office that we know about. Of course, others have been just as bad, but you get my point. We're now as conservatives reduced down to somebody that we don't even know if he's saved we think he's saved, but he, we don't know. Some people around him are telling us. I'm not even convinced, but of course I'm going to vote for him because who do I have in comparison to him? In comparison, a bumbling idiot who's a genocidal maniac. So I talk to people all the time, and I'm like, okay, let's say you don't think Trump's a Christian. You obviously are using your moral compass to make a decision about Trump. Well, then who do you think Biden and Kamala Harris are? If Trump is not a Christian by your definition, these are like the next step to spiritually demonic possessed people. You know what I'm saying? And then for some people, they're like, hey, I love Trump. I, I understand he can be forgiven. I'm just telling you my pain. 
It's not like I can look at my president and go, Lucas, do likewise. I mean, honestly, do you want to look at your children and go to the president and go, do likewise. Do business like him. Do a marriage like him. Curse like him. No, we, we are at a place of such deep desperation, and yet everybody keeps making us promises. I think that it is the job of the church to vote in someone like a Trump to stop the wickedness of, of Biden, because I think once Biden goes in, they'll be like, yeah, man, we know he's crazy. We're going to now have Kamala come in and let all the socialists have their way. So I think a vote against socialism and destruction of our country should be a vote for Trump. That's what I personally believe, right? But I'm just telling you, I can't vote, I, I can't bring Trump to my Bible study and now say this is a good Christian leader. Let's all follow his example. My dad, listen to me, my dad is more of a man of God when he gets up in the morning and reads the paper than Trump has been his entire life. My dad's in his 70s, has served the Lord almost 50 years, been married to my wife, 50, uh, my wife, my mom. <laughs> that would be weird. That's weird. He would be 10 times worse than Trump marrying my wife. Um, He's been married to my mom for almost 50 years. He's a man of God. And oftentimes he's like the same exact age as Trump. He goes, man, maybe I should have ran for president, you know, because he would have had all the same mentality towards business and towards protecting America and doing all of these things. But yet he wouldn't have had 20 different marriages and all of that. And I know sometimes people say, well, he wasn't a billionaire. He wasn't a billionaire. What would you rather have him be a billionaire or be faithful to his wife? My dad was successful enough, but I'm saying, is that much success worth giving up your wife and your, and your integrity? You know what I'm saying. Let's just keep it real. And so we can make all these swears all day long. What I want to see is people do what God told them to do. So I am praying for Trump to get really saved and then to have a backbone. And when we vote him in and we get this justice confirmed, to make abortion illegal. That's what we need to do. We need presidents to stand by their word and make wickedness illegal in the land. That's what we need to do. And we need to continue to stand on our biblical principles and not back down from things we know are right. Verse 3, Lord, do not look, do not your eyes rather look for truth. You struck them, but they felt no pain. You crushed them, but they refused correction. They made their faces harder than stone and refused to repent. Look at America right now. God has struck them. Look at just Hillary. Since we're going political today, why not since we're here? God humbled her. Did he not humble her? I heard that when she lost, she was cussing worse than a sailor. She was throwing things around. She thought she had the entire thing wrapped up, yet God swooped in, gave the nation another chance, gave us a reprieve from what wicked things she would have done. But do you see humility in her eyes? Do you see brokenness in her heart? Do you see her learning from her experiences? Absolutely not. When you look at all the world of entertainers and all the pain that they go through, do you see Ellen then going, I'm wicked. I need to repent. I need to repent of my homosexuality. I need to rid my whole entire studio of perversion. How I'm going to run my talk show is with a scripture every, every time I open up. Instead of just twerking and dancing, whatever, I'm going to read a scripture. No, you just see people going on in their pride. They shed a little tears to get you to feel sorry for them. How about your next door neighbor? When the pandemic first hit, everybody was scared, right? Somebody say scared. They were scared, man. They weren't just scared. They were scared. I'm not getting out the house. We didn't know what was happening. We thought this thing might have been worse than anthrax. But now you see them. Are they humbled? No, most of the people are not humbled. Most of the people have not changed their ways. Has Boys Town changed their ways? Have they seen an end-time pandemic as a sign of God? No. Their faces 
are just harder like stone. They're refusing to repent. Now, I love Jeremiah, the prophet now speaking. He goes, these are only the poor people. These are just those from the trailer park. These are just those in the backwoods or at the hood. They're foolish, for they don't know the way of the Lord, the requirements of their God. So I'll go to the leaders and speak to them. Have you ever thought that way? You're like, man, it's just the rappers that are bad. It, you know what? It's just the young people that are bad. Oh, it's just the meth addicts that are bad. It's, it's, it's not my, my uh, CEO of my company. It's not Silicon Valley. Oh, it's not down there at the high rises. They have more sense than them. Dear God, things are getting exposed of them. Their sex parties, their perversion, their witchcraft, they're, they're, man, they're all greedy, so many of them. It's like, find me a righteous one, right? So he goes, I'll go to the leaders and speak to them. Surely they will know the way of the Lord, the requirements of their God. But with one accord, they too had broken off the yoke and turned off the bonds, or torn off the bonds. How many of you have seen, whether it's from the hood to the penthouse, people are living in sin right now? Whether it's the poor or the rich, they're turning their backs on God. That's what Jeremiah is saying. We're looking at our culture and we're going, man, where's the common sense? Does Jeff Bezos have it? The rich man? Of course he doesn't. Does Bill Gates have it? God, no. Does the poor man on the street have it? No. Only those who are of God have it. And it doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor. Therefore, a lion from the forest will attack them. A wolf from the desert will re, uh, ravage them. A leopard will lie in wait near their towns to tear them to pieces. Any who venture out, for their rebellion is great and their backslidings, what? Many. Therefore, chlamydia looks to get them. AIDS looks to strike them. Poverty is hiding to come jump on them. Depression and anxiety is seeking to destroy them. Can I hear an amen to some of the judgments of God? We're more drugged up than we've ever been, more sick from our sexual transmitted diseases, not stopping anytime soon, more suicide than ever before, more of the, the psychotropic drugs being pumped into our children, waiting on every corner. Because here's the deal. The devil's not our friend. He will tempt you with sin so you can be happy for a moment, but he knows in the end it brings destruction. So he'll give you that candy just for a little bit, but he wants you to be destroyed like him. He is not doing that to make you happy. Listen, he does not like those he is using. He does not like the politicians he's using. He does not like the entertainer he's using. He is just trying to set up an army against God. And if he has to destroy all of the human race to do it, he'll do it. He took a third of the angels with him, and that's not enough. He wants to take humanity with him. And so God says, I'll let it happen. He says, I'm going to let it happen. You didn't want my protection? Just like we told God, God, we don't want you in our public schools anymore. We don't want you. What was the biggest problem in the 50s and 60s? Chewing gum, talking back to a teacher, skipping school. And what do we say to God back then? We don't need you, God. We don't need to pray anymore. We got this. And so what do we do when we kick God out? We let the devil ride in. Now instead of having the Bible, now we have metal detectors. Now instead of the biggest problems being chewing gum, talking back to teachers, we got teachers having sex with children, drug deals going on, murders happening. 
We have all of the corruption of the school system, even in a city like Chicago. Help the schools, help the schools. We pump money into the schools. And what was it just about five years ago, the superintendent got uh, indicted on corruption, taking the money. This is what happens to a wicked people. God have mercy. I didn't choose it. Did you choose it when you were picking to be born? Did you choose to be born in the city of Chicago with Mayor Lightfoot? (laughs) Come on, somebody. Did you pick that? Did you pick this time? No, but we're here now. What are we going to do about it? Well, let's first be honest with our times. Verse 7, God speaking. Why should I forgive you? You know, so many people think that God owes them forgiveness. He's now asking, why should I forgive you? Why should I do anything for you? Your children have forsaken me and sworn by gods that are not gods. I supplied all their needs, yet they committed adultery and thronged to the houses of prostitutes. They are well-fed, lusty stallions, each neighboring for his, uh, another man's wife. Should I not punish them for this, declares the Lord? Should I not avenge myself on such a nation? Look at your neighbor and say, it's about ready to get PG-13. He said, they are hoes, they are tricks, they are ratchet, they are nasty, they are dirty. How can I not avenge my name, the Lord says. This is my world. He is talking to them as the one who owns the place. And what is his main issue right now? Your children pretend I don't even exist after I bless you. We had one of our uh, African missionaries here who works in Kenya, and he praised how well he, he loves America and what's going on. Why? Because where he's from, they still have to walk miles to go get water that's dirty, that can still cause a disease. Our children in this nation have grown up with food. We eat so much food that we become obese to then pay more money to go lose all the food that we ate. If we just didn't eat that food but sent it over to the world, we would feed all of them. And with all the money we're spending on gym memberships we don't need, we could buy them all a new bike. We have become gluttons. And you look at most of what's going on with the riots in the cities. Young people with their iPhones, with all the technology, with all of the freedom that the parents and their ancestors gave them. And now they call themselves Charlemagne the false god. They call themselves gods. They worship their ancestors. And they're acting as if that is what got them where they are. America, for better or worse, did not get this way by worshiping ancestors and worshiping Allah or worshiping Brahma or Vishnu or some Hindu god. We got where we are by putting the God of heaven and earth first in all that we did. And God was merciful to us despite our failings. And so now we want to pretend, well, any old God will do, just like they were in Israel. Any old God will do. We're in a promised land after all. And you don't have to believe in a certain God to have a crop grow, do you? Look, I'm an atheist and I still make money. Don't even understand where their brain came from. Don't understand where the chemicals operate and the technology that we use, where the wisdom came from, where biology came from. God, our creator. And why does a nation like America have its freedoms? Why does Chicago have its freedoms? It's because God has blessed us. And now God is saying back to us, and this is the moral dilemma, should I not punish you? It's like asking your child if they did something wrong, should I punish you? child doesn't know how to answer. If I say yes, then that means they're asking for it. But it will at least show you that they're thinking right, right? Because you want to hear that. And then if they say no, you can't really fault them for it because you know they're trying to save their hide. But then you know they're playing dumb with you. You know better. 
So what do you do? You take the high ground and you admit it. Yeah, you should punish me, but go easy on me. Isn't that what we should say back to God? God, we deserve it, but have mercy. The prophet Habakkuk cried out, have mercy, God, in times of wrath. Send revival, O God. Have mercy. Yes, Lord. Yes, we deserve this. We know we have sinned against you. We have turned our backs on your your commands and your ways. We've gone astray, O God, but have mercy on us. We should be crying out for mercy. And yet, what are we doing? We are choosing socialism and political movements that have always been demonic to now get our attention. Instead of kneeling, I'm being honest with you. You talk to all of those basketball players. Was your grandmama a socialist or a Bible-believing Christian? Why not kneel for God to bless us? But they'll kneel to a socialist agenda. How wicked is that? That socialist agenda did not give them the freedom to play that basketball and to make that money here in America. Their praying grandmother and the Christianity that she taught them did. They should have all went to two knees and said the Our Father together and said, God, have mercy on our nation. Bring justice to those who have been done wrong. Take out corruption where it's found. And may, us, may we all live holy. But you see, we don't do that. And God is looking back at us going, you know I have to avenge myself, right? You know I have to judge this. Because any judge that sees wickedness happen, any any person that's a police officer, military, anyone that's in charge of keeping law and order sees wickedness and does nothing, they themselves are wicked now, right? Complicit. And so God says, I will judge this. Go to verse 10. God says to the prophet, tell them this. Go through her vineyards and ravage them, do not, uh, but do not destroy them completely. He's actually speaking to Babylon. He's going to let them invade them. Strip off their branches, for these people do not belong to the Lord. The people of Israel and the people of Judah have utterly been unfaithful to me, declares the Lord. They have lied about the Lord, they said. So now look at this. Now the Lord is going to hear their lies. What are their lies? He will do nothing. This is the liar speaking. God says, I'm going to judge you. And God says, I even know your lies. He will do nothing. No harm will come to us. We will never see sword or famine. The prophets, those pastors, are but wind, hot air. The word is not in them. So let what they say be done to them. Let them. Let, I hope Pastor Joe gets corona. I hope all Metro Praise gets corona. Listen, I would rather have corona than be going to hell. Okay? But still, I'll do what I can not to get corona. But listen. I would rather have corona than go to hell. Some of y'all wearing masks looking like you want to be on the next Batman show or whatever, but you're still going to hell. I would rather catch corona and go to heaven. Now, if I can go to heaven without catching corona, I'd like to have that. But here's the thing. I will not back down and hand the streets over to thugs and to wickedness during this time. If you're going to be out protesting, I'm going to be out preaching. Amen? And so we're not handing over the nation to you. And if that's the risk we have to take, then so be it. People have given up a lot more in their time to stand for righteousness. Because people say to me, well, what happens to your children? What happens to this? Well, if it ever gets that serious, I'll think about it differently. But right now, you know, children are doing well and not having much of an issue with it. And most healthy people, you get the point. But it's worth the risk to me. It's worth the risk to me to have church to come here. Just like it's worth the risk for those in China, whether or not they'll get arrested, just like it's worth the risk in other places to go, you know, to that church, even though you can get robbed on the way there or raped. We've had missionaries here testify as they were serving God in different countries, they got raped. 
And God forbid that would ever happen to us, but I would rather, listen to me, I would rather my daughter be a missionary that gets raped preaching the gospel than to be a wicked, filthy sinner like the ladies I see today in entertainment and in the movies. Because God will judge her rapist and she'll be healed and she'll bring many to heaven with her. I would rather her be a missionary who suffers for Christ than to be a Lady Gaga. We all want to send our kids to college. That's got to send them to college. And I pray that we bring back the trades to America, amen, that we bring back the working positions. But, oh, it's got to send them to college. So what, they can lose their soul, catch an STD? Come on, somebody. They, well, they need extracurricular, this and that. We don't have time to church. They need to go to college. I would rather have my child go to, a, go, go to the public college, right college, the community college, keep her soul, go to heaven, than to get a Ph.D. from one of these devilish universities. I think she can do both. You get my point, though. But if it's an either or... Well, they won't take them into these Ivy League schools unless they do three extracurriculars and the curriculars are always over the weekends and they have to do, what the hell with that? I'll make sure she goes to community college and then becomes the next Steve Jobs. Are you listening? Because we're going to bring back some of this to our country where we don't need just to keep paying universities money to brainwash our children. You're paying these people money to brainwash them. Get washed in the word, amen? And so he says, I'm going to let these people do this to my vineyard, strip them down, take from them, but I'm not going to let them be utterly destroyed. I believe God always has a remnant. That's why the nation of Israel is still with us today. God has never let them be utterly destroyed. And the church will always remain. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. But we may go through some suffering. This is their lie. He'll do nothing. No harm will come to us. We'll never see a sword or famine. The prophets are wind. The word's not in them. So let what they say be done to them. And there are honestly Christians out there right now saying we're getting what we deserve. Oh, you deserve everybody to say that against you. I'm talking people I know who have considered me a pastor. Either I pastored at their church or I have preached for them or visited their church. They are saying, you deserve those low ratings. You went out there and asked for it. You deserve the community to be upset with you. Good luck reaching the community now. They protested you about corona. Good luck. You should have stayed online. No, you guys stay online. I'm going to be on the front lines in Jesus' name. They may not like us, but they know we're here. They know that we're here in Jesus' name. And by the way, when we went out preaching in the community, I didn't see one white liberal say any of that nonsense to us because the people here know we're the real deal. Whether we're in the black community or Latino community or in front of abortion clinic, there's one thing they can't say about us, that we're chickens and cowards. That's y'all. At least they can say these folks believe in what they're saying enough to come out here. I'm sick and tired of people doing it, not, not doing it at all, telling us what we're doing is wrong. I would rather do what I'm doing wrong than what you're not doing right. You staying at home online is doing nothing for our culture or society right now. And so these liars literally said back to the prophets, God's not going to judge us, but we hope you get judged. We're not going to get stripped down and broken down and lose our businesses and homes, but I hope that happens to you. Shows their heart, doesn't it? Hasn't changed. Verse 14. Therefore, this is what the Lord God Almighty says. Because the people have spoken these words against the prophets of the land, against the good churches, because they have spoken this, I will make my words in your mouth like a fire, and these people, the wood it consumes. 
<laughs> Y'all didn't get excited about that. Jesus says, I hear what they're saying about you, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to set your tongue on fire, and you're going to start preaching, and they're going to feel like they're getting burned up and offended, and I'm going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You wonder why you can't bring all your friends here and then not get offended? It's because the word be like fire on their soul. You want to know why when we street preach, they get provoked? It's because the fire be touching the soul, convicting them of sin. That's why they can sit and listen to that other kind of preaching all day long. People have told me that all the time. Pastor, we like your music. We think you're a great preacher. The church is pretty cool. But you know what? Sometimes it just gets to me. It's too loud. It's this and that. And I'm not just talking about volume too loud. It is convicting because we preach with passion and fire here, and it burns them up on the inside. Burns them up. It really does. It burns them up. I had a friend come and visit. You know, I don't have a lot of friends in the city because uh, I'm always at church, so I try to make some here and there outside of the church, want to be influential, et cetera. But I have my friends from back in the day, Fort Wayne, Indiana, and every now and then they'll visit when I preach. One of them came while I was preaching, and he said, man, two things, two things, Joe. Number one, I understood everything you said, and that's the first time I've ever been in church and understood the preacher. He said, the second thing is, you offended me more than I've ever been offended in my entire life. I'm like, it felt like fire, didn't it? You see, because that's what God is doing. God is making it clear. Is anybody here unclear about the message coming forth? So that's why people say, Joe, you talk about politics too much. You talk about Lady Gaga. Why do you name names? I've, I've literally had people tell me this. People that, you know, I'm a personable pastor. I hang out. People have come and told me this, like, like as if it's going to change me. They literally come to me and try to convince me not to do it. They're like, I got a lot of Catholic friends, and they're looking for a church. And every time I bring a Catholic friend here, you blowing up Father Tom. You're talking about this and that. I can't bring them here no more. I'm like, that's exactly what they need. That's how they're going to get saved. They're going to stop praying to the mother of Guadalupe, and they're going to pray to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I'm sorry if that bothers you, but I don't want a Catholic to remain a good Catholic after they walk out of here. I want them to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Oh, wow, my friend got offended because his sister's homosexual and this, this, and that. It doesn't matter which one of our relatives is homosexual. My sister got different baby daddies. It doesn't matter what sin they're committing. All sin will be exposed here. What don't you understand about that? We don't want sin. We want Jesus Christ. We want holiness. Hallelujah. And then people are like, well, your pastor doesn't dress up. You know, why is he wearing jeans? Because it's, it's too cold to wear shorts. Tell him that. He wouldn't wear shorts because he would be wearing them right now if he could. Turn, please, to Jeremiah 23, 25. A lot of new members of the church. It's not in the notes. You have to go uh, land yet. I want to encourage you with the word that my mother got before I was even saved. How many believe in prophetic words? My mama was a praying mama and had a word for me before I was even saved. We'll go all the way down to verse 28 because I don't have time to exegete this scripture. But I think it's good for you to know if you're in this house and you consider me to be your pastor or a leader. Verse 28, my mother had this before I was saved. Let the prophet who has a dream recount the dream, but let the one who has my word speak it faithfully. For what has straw to do with grain, declares the Lord, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer. 
that breaks a rock in pieces. My mother had this word before I was even saved because it had a twofold meaning to her. She was praying for me to get saved. And as she was praying, the devil was lying to her, saying, your son's on drugs. His heart is so hard. He's out there being wild. It's not going to work. And the Lord gave her this word. My hammer is harder than his heart. I can break his heart into pieces. I can blaze him up and take up all of his sin in a moment. And then this is what she said. She said, and then God told me, that's the kind of preacher you'll be before I was even saved. That I had a call to be a preacher. So for any of you, I'm talking to some sassy sallies now that want to pull me aside and say, Joe, would you just calm it down a little bit? Would you stop talking about people? Would you stop breaking stuff on your Sunday services? I got a mama that wants to say something to you. Preach it, preacher. She'll tell you he didn't get saved to be like Joe Osteen. He got saved to break some stuff. And if I'm in your city, we're going to break some stuff. If I'm in your nation, by God's grace, we're going to set it on fire. That's my calling. So anybody coming up now go, oh, did you know the mayor said this and all the news stations going to be here? I want to tell you what, I've never seen more confirmations in my entire life. It's hammer time, baby. It's fire time for such a time as this. I've been waiting on, on uh, you know, I'm in the dugout waiting to hit a home run, and now they say it's time to break, son, let's go. So I, I speak that over this house today. Don't be scared if your neighbor feels like there's a burning when you start preaching what you learned here because your, your words are like fire to their dry life. Don't get offended if family don't like you or don't want anything to do with you because you're breaking up. You're breaking up the things in their life. And God will set them free, amen? Going back to the notes quickly, somebody say, in the end, what will you do? What are you going to do? I want my words to be like fire. He says he's going to bring nations. Keep going on down, verse 17. Verse 17 of Jeremiah, he says they're going to devour you. They're going to destroy your fortified cities. Judgment is coming. Verse 18, he says, but I won't let them destroy you completely. He said, I'm not going to forsake you like you've forsaken me. God is so good to us, isn't he? I'm just going to be honest again, bringing it back to Frodo. I didn't ask to be here for such a time as this, but God brought me here for such a time as this. I'm telling you, I didn't choose this to be the Chicago that I would be pastoring in. I was hoping Chicago would have better days. Can I be honest with you? When I was in the South and my pastors would talk about racism and all those things, I thought to myself, thank God that's over. I had no idea I would be standing on a corner with Dominique being called a, a white devil. I didn't know we were going to take steps backwards. I'm just being honest. Did he not call me a white devil? He called me a white devil. I'm telling you, I didn't know we were going to take steps backwards. I thought that we were going to learn from our mistakes, but we're not. We're only getting worse. And now I want to say to you today, what are you going to do? Because he's going to end right here with some powerful words. He says this in verse 21. Hear this, you foolish and senseless people. Another English version says, hear this, you stupid and ignorant people. You have eyes, but you don't see. You have ears, but you don't hear. Should you not fear me, declares the Lord. Should you not tremble in my presence. That's what was still on me from the first service. When I came to the second service, I'm like, man, I got to go back to that posture I was in after I ended that last service. I got to go right to my knees because how stupid can we be to watch our world falling apart, fires going everywhere. And I'm not even saying it's all God's judgment. I'll know God's bringing judgment like when he brings a flood to Las Vegas, okay? But a flood down south, that happens all the time, and fires in the west. I'll know when there's another great fire of Chicago, there's judgment. Are you listening? But there could be judgment, and don't get me wrong, but listen, you think 
think that we would see at least the turmoil of our nation. We would see the fires consuming. We would see the corruption, and we would call out to God. But he says, you are stupid, and you are senseless. You have eyes, but you don't see. Ears, but you don't hear. You should be afraid. You should be in fear of my power. He says, but you're not even as smart as the sea is. The sea knows to listen and obey, but you don't. Verse 23, but these people have become stubborn, and they have rebellious hearts. God will work with us and teach us. God is not calling us stupid because we've tried and we haven't figured it out. He's calling us stupid because we've become stubborn. If you handed to me calculus right now and said, do it, if I couldn't do it, would you call me stupid? No, because I've never learned it. I don't know anything about it. But listen, if you know calculus and I don't, and you start explaining it to me, and then I start arguing with you, what would you call me? You would call me stupid. Like, listen, stupid, you just told me you don't know calculus. I do. Why are we arguing? Literally, God is saying to us, I know earth. I know spiritual battles. I know who's coming against you. I know you want to dress up like a woman and call yourself a woman, but you're really a man. But I know who's behind that. But you're stubborn, rebellious. You know, just just like the same thing. I know you want black lives to matter. I know you want justice, but you're being used. I know you want this. I know you want that, but you're being used. God is saying that to us. But they don't do it. He says, they do not say to themselves, let's fear the Lord who gives us autumn and spring rains. Let's turn back to him. He says, you don't do it. Now look at the end, verse 26. All these people are being wicked and taking each other over. And now he says in verse 28, they've grown fat and sleek. The wicked seem to be getting more powerful, right? Their evil deeds have no limit. They do not seek true justice. We can agree there's injustice in the land. They don't promote the case of the fatherless. That's why there's abortions, because no father would allow their child to be murdered. They don't promote the case for the cause of the fatherless. They don't defend the cause of the poor. Do you think the rapper cares about the poor because he put a Black Lives Matter up over his Twitter, his Instagram? He uses the poor to get rich. You think those sports stars really care? They're not even tithing. They don't even give 10%. They drop a milli like LeBron James, whatever. That's like 1%. Some of these guys are so rich, they do just that little bit, and everybody says, oh, look at them. The church does nothing. No, we were here before they came. We'll be here after they go, and we'll be through all the mess in between. We have been here. And we will continue to be here, but they don't do any of this. And then God, should I not, he says, should I not punish them for this? Should I not avenge myself on such a w- wicked nation as this? And as the closing comes, look at it. A horrible and shocking thing has happened. Vinny, would you come in closing, please? Here's the shocking thing, right? It's horrible. We know it's bad, but here's what I think is shocking. This is what's happened in the land, and it's happening right now. The prophets prophesy lies. The priests Rule by their own authority, and my people love it this way. So all this is going on in their time, and you can almost see the Israelite, what is he saying? Well, let's go to the priests. Let's go to the prophet, man. They'll set this thing straight. You're following a false god. Let's go to the priest. Let's go get it right. And then the priest is following the same false god. I'm telling you, friends, this is what's shocking You're right now looking for a church. That's why you're here, where you can hear the truth. But how many have had to go through some churches and already heard the lies? Why? Because they're prophesying that lie because they don't want to be convicted. They don't want God to deal with them. But here's the thing. 
the people love it. I thank God that you didn't stop where you stopped. You kept going looking for the truth. Because I don't want to be a prophet that prophesies lies. I don't want to be a priest that rules by my own authority. Well, here's what I think. You know, I think that the Bible didn't understand same-sex relationships. It was just against pederasty and child rape because that's what the Romans would do. So what I want to do is accept into our church and full membership those who have loving same-sex unions and marriages and honor one another. That's my decision for this. I'm making the authority. Not from the Word. They're making the authority. You know, I think that, you know, that socialism can probably do better than a person like Trump. You know, he's such a, such a racist. So I think we should side with the oppressed and help people. And let's vote people in that are, that are going to rule evenly and fairly. That's what we should do. Because that's, that's socialism is even in fairness. Yeah, ask somebody from Cuba how socialism worked, right? But they're going to do it with their own authority. You're going to the church to learn how to get through the wicked mire of your day and what we're finding is the priests and prophets are just as much in it. My wife will tell you, it's God be my witness. I'm, I may be ashamed to admit it, but I gotta be real. I used to be a T.D. Jakes fan. Yeah, quieted up in this Presbyterian church, but I was one. I had the DVDs, videotapes, all of it, man. My wife will tell you, we were watching them on Dr. Phil. And he just didn't say anything about Jesus or the Bible. And like Dr. Phil was just throwing them softballs. Like, what do you think, Bishop, we should do, you know? And then he's like, I think we should build up this and do that and do this and that. Like he literally talked like he was like Ronald McDonald giving an after-school program discussion. My wife will be the witness to this. I went and got the DVDs. I started breaking them, throwing them in the garbage. I said, I cannot follow a preacher who is literally introduced by his name Bishop and can't even say the name of Jesus when he's asked what we should do about a problem in a marriage or a problem in our society. And then I got hype on it. And then I started doing it to all the preachers. I started following Joe Osteen just to call him out and following that one. And God said, stop, you're getting distracted. But then I'll be honest, I just, I just started getting discouraged. I, just, I, I, I started seeing so many compromise. Because once again, if I'm picking a church age to be a part of, I'm not picking T.D. Jakes 2020. I'm picking T.D. Jakes 1984. Are you guys listening? I'm, I'm picking the one that was preaching in storefronts like this, giving it his all, going full out for God, heaven and hell, you know, just preaching. I'm not picking Joel Osteen. I'm picking John Osteen. Do yourself a favor and listen to a John Osteen sermon. It's not even the same. I'm telling you. I'm not, I'm not picking this, but I'm here now and I don't have a choice. And you don't either. So he said to them, this is the horrible and shocking thing. The priests and prophets are just as bad. But what will you do in the end? Come on, Frodo. You didn't pick to be pulled out the shire, to be fighting the orcs and all of these crazy things and to see all this. But what are you going to do, man? 
And I say the same thing here to our church, young and old alike. You might not have picked such a time as this, but God picked such a time as this. What are you going to do in the end? How are you going to go out? Because I've already had people tip out of the church and say, man, I can't take the heat that you're getting. I've got too much on the line, my business. I'm a police officer. What if they find out where I live, etc.? You know, i got too much to lose here. I'm leaving. I've already heard all the excuses. I've already gone through it. I'm done with the debate. You know what I'm saying? I just send you to the block party now like some of my sisters have said. We're done trying to explain it on Facebook. We've told you a hundred times what we're here doing. And I think some of you are at that same point. You need to make that decision because I do not want my end to be less on fire than my beginning. If you could just think of it in your own mind, Could you imagine me talking to the 22-year-old self who had the call to break things and set stuff on fire and break bondages in Jesus' name, set the prisoner free? Could you imagine me coming back to 22-year-old Joe as 43-year-old Joe saying, Joe, you're going to come to a time where you got to stop witnessing to gangbangers. It will get too dangerous you got to stop preaching against politics because they'll be talking about you all the time. You've got to stop opening up your church because the mayor is going to make you feel bad. And you need to stop making disciples based on a holy standard because all your friends are going to leave you. If I said that to 22-year-old Joe, tears would come streaming down my face. I'm being honest with you. And I would say back to me, what happened? Because right now I believe this. I believe this is the answer. I believe this is what we live and die for. It sounds like the times you have faced are the ones that I'm being prepared for. Why do you quit now? I don't want to face Jesus because I will face him. And Jesus look at me and say, why did you lay down the sword? Why did you stop preaching? That was what I made you for. And I want to say this to everyone here. That's why you're here. You are here to be a part of the solution. And I know, I know there's pressure on you. I know there is. It comes from the media. It comes from your job. It's pressure. And they want to conform you to how they think and do things. But the Bible says, do not be conformed, but be transformed. And so what will you do in the end? I pray that you'll stand and you'll be there like Jeremiah. And you know what they ended up doing to him? They threw him in a pit. He got exiled and he watched his nation be destroyed. But I can only just imagine when he stood before Jesus, the one who had been speaking those words the whole time. And Jesus says to him, well done, my good and faithful servant. And the Bible says now in Hebrews that there is chapter 12, a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. And I believe Jeremiah is one of them. I believe William Seymour is another one. I believe the missionaries are there from times past. I believe those who have been martyred for Christ, even from the times of the Colorado shootings here, when they asked them, are you a Christian? And then they shot them right there in the school shootings. And they're there in heaven as witnesses to the goodness of God. And they are watching us right now. And they're saying to Miss Chalet, run your race. 
Run your race, Dre, run your race. Wherefore, seeing we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and every sin that so easily besets us, and let us look unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, and let us run the race that has been set out before us with perseverance. Would you stand to your feet and say, I'll be here, Jesus, all the way to the end. Come on, tell them, I'll be here, Jesus, all the way I'm not giving up. Banded altar workers, would you come please in closing? I hear them saying to you, brother, run. Run. Don't give up. Keep preaching. Don't lose your zeal. I want you for homework this week to learn about Evan Roberts and the Welsh revival. How old are you? Yes. 22. Right around your age, Evan Roberts saw what was going on in his country in the early 1900s. And he said, God, there has to be more than this than just farmers getting drunk all the time. God, you have to have more. And there was about three or four praying ladies at the church that he stumbled upon. And he said, what are you praying for? They say, we're praying for revival. And God said, said, told us a young preacher would come and preach and bring revival. He said, well, you're praying and I'm, I'm starting to preach. I would love to give it a try. And he began to start what became known as the Welsh Revival. God set the entire European continent on fire through what that young man did. I want you to study about him. God's going to do it. God's going to do it. Carlos Anacondia was just a businessman in Argentina during the 80s. During that time, they were having civil unrest. Communism has always fought, tried to fight its way into Latin America. And during that time, he, was, he became a Christian. And at that moment, God said, I want you to start preaching. And he said, but I'm not a preacher. I'm a businessman. This is all I know. God said, I'll give you the words to speak. Just like he said to Jeremiah, he went to his pastor. His pastor gave him a plan and said, okay, you do these things, and then we'll send you out to preach. So what he did is he got a tent, and he began to preach doing 10 crusades. The first couple of nights, just a few people came, but he had enough faith to believe that if he stretched out his hand and prayed for them, that they might get healed in Jesus' name. People started getting healed. The tent started filling up day after day after day. I'm talking to you, Calvin. And then the tent couldn't fit him anymore, and they ended up filling the soccer stadiums and churches that began to come with their people. They say, we don't even know if he's been to Bible college, but he's got revival all over him. The Spirit of God is on him. And he set Argentina on fire. I mean, don't we want to see it again, brothers and sisters? Don't we want to see what God can do when we say, I'm sticking around to the end? I'm sticking around to the end. One last story. D.L. Moody said, I'm a businessman. Maybe I'm not even called to preach. Come on, Mike, listen to me. He said, but what I can do is I can get the place for them to preach. So he put down the money for the rent. He started talking to the kids and said, what are your biggest needs? Well, we don't have clothes. We don't have things to get a job with. He said, okay, you come to church. I'll teach you how to get a job. That's what I'm good at. I'll get you the right clothes. You'll be able to work in the industry. So he began to pay so that someone could preach at the place that he prepared and he would take care of the kids. But one day, come on, listen to me, Mike. Mike, one day the preacher didn't come. And here D.L. Moody said, well, we can't let him go without a sermon. And he began to preach. And D.L. Moody started preaching that day. He couldn't stop preaching. He then began one of the biggest revival movements in our country. And today there's about, what, 12 city blocks that's called D.L. Moody Bible University because what a businessman did for a community. Will you be here in the end? 
It's not just how you start, it's how you finish. You didn't ask for this time, but God prepared you for this time. Will you do something great for God? Let's close out in prayer and you make that decision. Father, I pray today that we'll all make the decision to be here in the end serving you.